0: I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, please open to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 will be our text today. Uh, To give you a little background, as you're turning there, uh, this morning's message is entitled The Theology of Love. It is not the theology. It is not an entire biblical theology. It is simply a teaching from um, a letter written to the church almost 2,000 years ago from the Apostle John. So uh, please understand, there is far more in Scripture about love. But at the same time, uh, I think it's uh, surprising as you really dig into this passage this morning, hopefully you will see some things about love that maybe you've never considered or understood before. Um, uh, I will say this, um, when I was asked to come and preach, I had a lot of choices on what I would preach on. And as I was thinking about it, uh, over the years, people have asked me, Scott, you went and planted a church for in the Northwest, a largely unchurched area. If you had to do it over again, what would you do differently? What would you do more of? Uh, What would you advise someone who is going to do the same thing? And I am certainly not unique in that. There are many other men that have done more and better things. But I, I would say this, there would be two things. And one thing is love. I would teach our people. I would encourage them. I would try to model it more. I would try to live it out greater in our community, a biblical understanding of what true love actually is. That would be the first and most important thing. So with that, let's read the scriptures, and we'll dig in a little bit further. Beginning in verse 7, 1 John chapter 4, says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us or among us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. So if you have your notes, this passage I've divided up into three areas. The source of love, the ultimate love, and the fruit of love. But if you're really detailed, I'm going to cover about 12 truths about love in this one short passage. You might think I could be here till one o'clock, but no, we're going to get it all in. So let's begin. Very first truth. It says beloved, and we can just stop right there. I don't know how you identify with yourself. If you get up in the morning and think of yourself as mom, dad, student, successful, unsuccessful, sad, happy, whatever your identity is, I doubt you woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and thought, beloved. I've been trying to get Judy, for many of you who don't know, Judy, my wife, is over here. I've been trying for years to get her to every morning greet me as the beloved. She refuses. (laughs) No, she hasn't. I haven't tried to do that. I know better. But I will tell you this, there is one person in my life that almost treats me like that, and she's my mom. Just like your mom probably does as well. Do we have any favorite children in here? You see, yeah. (laughs) My sister calls me the favorite child, but it might as well be beloved, because every time I go home, my mom gives me a choice of whatever I want to eat. My dad, his barbecue ribs are outstanding. My mom's beef stroking off. My sister, she might get some cold cuts. No, no, she does all right for herself, but she does call me the favorite child. But imagine that. Imagine if you just, whatever situation you're in, whatever is going on in your life, if you step back and you realize, and if you take nothing else from this entire sermon, just this simple word in Greek, meaning a special relationship, in this case, a special relationship with God the Father, your creator. If you have been born again and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the scripture identifies you as beloved. If you knew that and took that to heart today and you took nothing else, you would be very blessed this week. Because I know some very successful, very rich, very wealthy people have achieved everything they've wanted and everyone other than that as well, and all of them, I've heard this word used to describe their life, hollow, alone, empty. Well, God didn't create us for that. He wants that relationship, you are beloved. Very first truth, we are especially loved by God. That is our identity. Second, he says, beloved, let us love one another. Well, if you have children, you know, Hard things often require a command. Children and cleanliness don't go together. You have to command them to take a bath. And so he writes here to the church, inspired by God, let us love one another. We have a command to love one another. I don't know what was going on in your life this morning as you got up this morning, as you're ready for church. Maybe you're thinking, wow, I didn't have time to prepare my Sunday school lesson, or I need to get there early. I've been serving in that area for years, or you were just going, well, I just want to come and be encouraged and see some people. Well, whatever it was, I would guess if you were like me, you were probably looking at it from your own perspective of what you were going to receive or how you were going to serve today. But imagine if you thought to yourself, I have the opportunity to go love a couple thousand people this morning. And that was my goal. You see, there's a difference between a command and a goal. And if you read this as a command, it's something that's somewhat inconvenient and you kind of do as best you can. But if you read it as a goal in your life, it changes everything. instead of walking by someone today in church and thinking, well, I need to talk to them for a second and get on to whatever else I was doing, or instead of just planning your own lunch plans, you would actually set up a budget maybe. You would think, how can I love others? What can I do? How can I encourage them? What is going on in their life? And as a matter of fact, you might not even speak to them. You would do a lot more listening just to hear what's happening with them. Let us love one another, second point. And make no mistake about this, this letter was written to the church. The one another is the church. Let's be clear, church is not going to some place and getting an inspiration, inspiring message and, and hearing some music. Anyone can do that. The church is the body of Christ, the people. And we are to love one another and a little later on that becomes very clear how important that is and how incredibly powerful it is we are to love the church third point for love is from god love is from god that is one of the greatest apologetics the greatest evidences that you can use in talking with people about the reality of who God is and the, that he exists because love exists. Think about it, do you find love at a football game? <laughs> you find a good fight. Do you find love at a bar? Well, you, have, you find pretend love. Do you find love at some uh, event, some sporting event? Maybe you might find it in, in your family, but if you have a sister like mine, it's kind of questionable. <laughs> no, I love her, I do. Love is from God. It is powerful. Truth number three. Number four, it says, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Scripture talks about examining fruit, trying to determine who truly knows God and who loves God. And believe it or not, that is very hard because sometimes we substitute a knowledge of doctrine or a knowledge of scripture for a knowledge, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And those two things are radically different. The Pharisees' new doctrine. Do you know God? If you know God, you love and you are born of God. It is a fruit of many that can be discerned. Number five, verse eight says this. The one who does not love does not know God. So let's phrase it like this, the the one who does not love the church, remember that's the context, the one who does not love the church does not know God. If you're a young person or if you've been uh, maybe uh, raised in an environment where you just kind of go to church and that was the thing you did but you never really thought about it, one of the defining aspects of knowing God is loving the church. Where I'm from in, in Baker City, they have beautiful mountains and they have beautiful streams. And that's not to say Keller isn't bad. You've got some nice creeks and uh, some sidewalks. Uh, we're trying to you know, really squint and see the beauty. It's, it's, it's all right. But a lot of people in, in my part of the world, they say the mountains are my church. I am spiritual. I know God, but the mountains are my church. And in one respect, we can kind of understand that because God's glory is reflected in his creation. But make no mistake, the mountains are not the church. Anyone who does not love the church, the people, the body of Christ, does not know the true living God. Now that might be hard for a lot of your friends or coworkers to accept, but it is the very word of God that reveals and teaches us this. Finally, he says, for God is love. Uh, Man, there are some people who can pray and others can really pray. And that prayer before I came up, that was an awesome prayer. That That was a prayer. And make no mistake, God is love as he said. But the reverse is not true. We're not teaching new age theology where love is God. That that is false doctrine. But God is love. Now, he's not only love. The Bible reveals he is spirit and a number of attributes as to who he is. But let's not forget in our teaching, God is love. Second point or second overall division, the ultimate love. This is the passage that really gets deep. And I love this. Verse nine says this, by this, the love of God was manifested in us or among us. This is a historical claim of a reality that actually occurred. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. It says that God has sent us his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. If you've been in church all your life, you could say amen to this. And you're like, Scott, I I get that. I'm looking for more this morning. Well, here's a little tip. As I'm going through these individual points, if you want to write them down, great. But you'd be far more blessed if you just simply meditate on the scriptures and memorize it. Because this is a long point. But you need to know it by this the love of god was manifested among us or put it like this the seventh truth the love of god was revealed through the historical act of god sending his only begotten son into the world that we might have life through him that is the gospel you see christianity is not let me let me repeat this Christianity is not a philosophy. It is not an opinion. It is a historical truth claim. As you're trying to share the gospel with your friends and family, we're in an environment where everyone loves to share their opinion based upon their feelings. That is not what Christianity does. If anyone just says, well, the Bible is, a, is one of many opinions, it is not. It is a historical claim of truth and this is the cornerstone or bedrock the foundation of all the claims in scripture god created us he loved us and he sent his only begotten son among us in the flesh and he would die on a cross for our sins that if we would repent and trust in him and believe in him we'd be forgiven our sins and confess him as Lord and follow him, we would have life in him. That is the gospel. And in this love, it says in verse 10, this eighth truth claim, he says, not that we have loved God. Let's start there. I gotta tell you, as a, as a son growing up in a, in a wonderful home, uh, I kind of loved my parents if they took care of me, but I was kind of a whiny little brat. I really was. I didn't first love my parents. I loved what they gave me. And I certainly didn't love my sister. I I loved a lot of stuff. I loved donuts. Anyone here a donut man? Yeah. I told this story in the the first uh, sermon and I received uh, an offer of a box of donuts actually afterwards and I'll tell you this. Uh, There's one thing in life and I love donuts and I've never had to be commanded to eat donuts. Um, and anyone in here have a birthday recently? Well, I had a birthday and my mom asked, would you like a cake? And I said, no, I'd like a dozen donuts, chocolate covered, please. And she looked at me, really? I said, yes, I would. And so she went and got a dozen donuts for me. And as you would do at a birthday party, you would sit down and you would share the cake. And we opened my dozen donuts. They didn't get one, I ate all dozen. And I wasn't feeling sick, I was ready for a couple more. (laughs) I love donuts. Love is a tricky thing. If we think we really love God, you have to ask yourself and remember, we didn't first love him. Let's keep that in mind. Truth number nine, he says, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And we could preach, I could preach on this for hours, what propitiation means. It's a a theological term. We don't use it very much, but it simply means the appeasing the wrath of God through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, reconciling those who place their faith in him. You see, we did not first love God and as sinners, God's wrath remained on us but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. This highest act of love, the Father sending the Son and the Son obeying the will of the Father to the point of death on a cross, we can experience what true sacrificial love is. This is the highest act in the history of mankind, of love. But notice this. It says, for a propitiation of our sins. This is not in the text, but it's a logical conclusion, and it's not a popular one today. If you turn on YouTube or whatever video and watching whatever your favorite preacher might be, there is a teaching out there that talks about the good news of Jesus and his love, but never mentions sin. Notice in this passage of the discussion of the greatest love of mankind, sin is a key component of love. You cannot teach or understand the gospel without discussing sin. That's what it was all about. That was the problem. We were born sinners. So if you have a teaching that just simply said, God loves you, he he wants you to come to him, well, that's only partially true. He does love you. But the highest act of love is when we begin to do the hard work of addressing our hearts in sin. And it's not something that we can do. Jesus did it all. He paid the price at Calvary. He died for your sins and mine. The greatest love of God speaks of the problem and solution for sin. Finally, the fruit of love. Verse 11 says this. Beloved. Notice I love he comes back around to that. Beloved. If God so loved us. There's your motivator. We also ought to love one another. It takes some motivation to love a few of us, especially me. Judy is a saint, by the way. If I come here to the church, you'll get to know what a saint she is because she has to deal with me. I can be hard to love. I don't know. I'm sure all of you are easy to love. Uh, I'm I'm sure pastor says you're the easiest church ever. But I bet a few of you know some people in your life, in churches, they're kind of tough to love. And if you just view it from that lens, guess what? You're going to view them in a negative light. You're going to view them as someone to avoid. But if you step back all the way back to when you were first saved, when you first came into a relationship with Jesus, and you can remember how wonderful it was to be washed with the blood of Christ and to be forgiven, let that motivate you if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 12, last verse. And this is where it all comes together. He says this, no one has seen God at any time. Now, if you're a Bible student, don't let this surprise you. Don't let this confuse you. Many times in scripture, the Bible talks about God revealing himself in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but he reveals himself in glory and light. But no one has ever actually seen God the Father other than the Son. No one has seen God at any time. But this seen aspect carries through. This is really important. If we love one another, God abides in us or dwells or remains is the Greek idea. So in other words, if we love one another, people will see God dwelling in your life. We had some baptisms this morning in the 830 service. A young lady at 13 years of age made the decision to publicly, before all this church, profess her faith in Christ at 13 years. When I was 13, I walked into a church in Shawnee, Oklahoma, Emmanuel Baptist Church. And I walked into a church for the very first time in my life. I don't know if you were raised in church, but I'd been in more bars and even a honky-tonk before I'd ever been in a church. And I walked in and these people were kind of nutty. They really were. They were loving. They were smiling. They were talking about this Jesus fellow, and they even handed me a book, and they said, this is the word of God, and I was like, yeah, right. I had never even contemplated God. I love my folks, and I trusted them, but I was pretty skeptical, at, at, even at age 13. But I kept coming back, and this love, it was strange. It didn't seem to disappear. It was it was different than I had experienced at school or anywhere else. And over time, I eventually went to a camp and learned what they were really talking about and came to know the Lord. But that love was more powerful than any speech that they shared. I could see something different in them. I really could. Well, fast forward many years as God radically changed my life in that church. When I came here, about 15 years ago to this church, coming to seminary, had no idea what I wanted to do. We were trying to find a good church. as many of you know in this area, it's hard to find a good church if you visit around. And then I came to to First Baptist Keller and there was some good preaching. Dr. Patterson was the the pastor at the time and, and the worship was fine. I'm not a big music guy, but it was okay. But there was this nutty Sunday school class known as B33. They were troublemakers. They were making noise in the gym. People were upset. But it was wild because I walked in there and I immediately recognized the love they had for one another. It was the same love many years ago that I observed when I was 13 years old and walked into that church. They loved one another and I could see it. And after a while, I, I, I came to accept their nuttiness. They were a little kooky. But they were loving kooks, and I love them to this day. If you've never experienced that love and you're here visiting for the first time, maybe in church or maybe this church, I want to encourage you to take the time to go to a Sunday school class and experience the very love of God. You see, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. Theologians have argued for many years as far as what that really means. But I can tell you, experience it and you will understand what it means. It's hard to put in words, but you can see it. You can see it in the life of individual saints, but you can really see it in a loving group of Christians. Thank you for so much for allowing me to share the word today. I will say this, I started this sermon and I told you there were two things that I would change or do different in planning a church all those years ago. The first was teaching on love and this would be the cornerstone text. The second is this, decisions. In just a moment, they're gonna invite you to make a decision and maybe you've been to this church so long it's just part of service But there's someone on average, statistically, in this service, in this building right in the aisle, listening to me, that has never made a decision for Christ. And I always assumed I knew people's hearts, so I didn't really press it, I believe, as much as I should. But I wanna encourage you to make a decision this very moment, this very day. Not only if you've never trusted in Jesus, but perhaps you were like me and and you're hearing this message and you're evaluating your life and you're like, well, I actually didn't come here today to love people and I really do need to love God. This is what's so great about God. Every day is fresh and new. I wanna encourage you to decide this day to begin loving people, get involved in a Sunday school class, love on one another in a way that is seen experienced make the decision today God bless you let's pray Lord we just thank you so very much that we can come into your presence today as a family brothers and sisters in Christ though I come from thousands of miles away I walk in and I experience my family for many years ago as if it's never changed I thank you for all the new individuals in this family that I'm still meeting and have yet to meet. Lord, help us to truly not be self-centered and focused on our own desires and needs, but others. Not because uh, we're righteous of our own merit, but because of what you did for us by sending your son to die on the cross help that help us to to be motivated by such a great revelation of love lord let this church first baptist keller be known for their love for one another in jesus name i pray amen thank you again for listening to our broadcast